it up. Do you hear me? None. If you can repent, God will forgive. It's that simple. If you sat in a message like this and you heard a message about the unpardonable sin and you were like, oh man, what if I've done it? You know, what if God won't forgive me? No, no. When you've committed the unpardonable sin, you don't care. Jesus told the Pharisees about their committing the unpardonable sin. And all it did was embrace and embolden them and make them hate him more. There was no resemblance of repentance whatsoever. Adam and Eve probably committed the, one of the worst sins in the Bible from the respect that they didn't have a sinful nature. They were pure. They had never sinned. And they committed a sin with that kind of purity. David, man after God's own heart, committed adultery. And Paul, the apostle Paul, his name was Saul. He was a Christian killer. You think, in your, you think in your mind of the sin that you have, in your mind that God cannot forgive, and it's just not true. God forgives any sin when it's repented of. And so what's happening in our text today is what's happened over and over and over again as Jake and Adam have preached the book of Matthew. We see the writer Matthew sharing a story about something that Jesus is doing, and then we see the response of the people, and then we see the response of the Pharisees, and we see this animosity building between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so in today's story, there's a demon-possessed man. And the people bring him to Jesus, and he was unable to speak. And he was blind, and Jesus healed him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. And all the crowds were astonished and said, perhaps this is the son of David. And the Pharisees heard this, and they said, this man drives demons out by Beelzebub. It's a bad word, by the way. The ruler of demons, and knowing their thoughts, Jesus told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How will that kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, who is it that your sons drive them out by? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Anyone who's not with me is against me. Anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Because of this, Jesus speaking in response to everything he just said, because of this, I tell you, People will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Why such a harsh condemnation of the Pharisees? What made them so bad? All through the Gospel of Matthew, we see this growing animosity of the religious leaders. And we see all the way back in Matthew chapter 8, we see that the first resistance of Jesus, remember that big herd of pigs and Jesus cast out some demons and the, the demons went into the herd of pigs and the pigs ran off the cliff and they all died. Remember that? That's the first time we hear this resistance towards Jesus and the people begged him to leave their region, scared him to death, and they lost the pigs. 
In Matthew 9, verse 3, the Pharisees indicate that Jesus is a blasphemer. He disrespects God. In Matthew 9, 11, Jesus didn't talk, or the Pharisees didn't talk to Jesus. They went around his back and went to his disciples and said, Hey, how come your teacher eats with tax collectors and sinners? What's his problem behind Jesus' back? Matthew chapter 12, verse 2, the Pharisees says, Look, the disciples are doing what's unlawful. Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, the Pharisees now have really started to zone in and they are plotting how to destroy Jesus. In Matthew 12, 24, we just read it. They said that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. It's interesting that in Matthew 11, verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are not offended by me. The Pharisees are way more than being offended. And then Jesus says in chapter 11, verse 15, if you have ears to hear, you should listen. And the Pharisees did not have ears to hear Jesus. I love Matthew 15, verse 22, verse 12. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but um, you're, you know you're offending the Pharisees, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I know that. I saw that too. So why, why are they so offended? We asked the question before, let's answer it. Why are they so offended? I'm going to answer it for you. Two words. Envy and jealousy, right? What else could it be? They are envious and jealous of Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus is healing. Matthew 4, verses 23 and following says they brought sick and lame to Jesus and he healed them all. Matthew 8, 16, it says he healed everyone who came to him. Jesus is drawing crowds. He's speaking like no other. He's casting out demons. He's not doing it for monetary gain. The Pharisees see all this and they are envious of him because they want what he has. That's envy. Envy is to see something and they want what he has. They are envious. It's kind of like coveting. But then their envy moves to jealousy. See, and jealousy is taking wanting someone else that what they have and moving it to the animosity towards the person who has it. And so first they just wanted what Jesus had. They saw him drawing crowds and speaking great. And they were just they were just envious. They wanted the same thing. They wanted people to throng to them. And then their envy turns to jealousy. And now they hate Jesus because he has what he has. People following him. Miraculous power. They're bitter towards him personally because they want what he has. And they are grumpy and angry and difficult and unkind because of that which they envy, namely his popularity, his clarity with the people, and it leads them to jealousy. Jealousy and envy are very dangerous, and they've started at the very beginning of the Bible, and they travel all the way through the entire canon of Scripture. There is a sense in which, if you think about it, Satan comes to Eve in the garden, the sinless couple Adam and Eve, and throws out this kind of idea where there's almost a little bit of envy. Satan says, well, God's holding out on you. Now we said, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him, and so he doesn't let you do that fruit. And Eve, with a little bit of envy, is like, well, I, I want to be like God. I mean, God, God knows more than I do, and I want to be like that. And there's a little bit of envy there. Cain killed Abel. 
over what started as envy because Cain's offerings were not acceptable. Abel's were more acceptable. That envy turned to jealousy. That jealousy turned to rage and bitterness. And Cain slew his brother because he was envious and jealous over the fact that God liked his offering better than his own. Remember Sarah, Abraham's wife in the Old Testament, ran Hagar off, said, get her out of here, run her away. I don't want to see her anymore. Why? Because she was envious and jealous that Hagar had a son and she did not. Numbers chapter 12, Aaron and Miriam are envious and jealous over Moses' leadership in the Old Testament book of Numbers. And God, in his unhappiness with them because of their envy and jealousness, strikes them with leprosy. It's that serious. Saul was jealous of David and repeatedly tried to kill him over and over again. In 2013, in Devonshire, Wales, a woman named M, just to use the first initial there, M. Smith, set fire to an apartment building and killed her neighbors because she was incensed by the fact that they were so happy. She burned the apartment building down that she lived in. The couple that she was incensed about died in the fire and she's in prison today. Her envy and jealousy over someone she barely knew's happiness drove her to bitterness and rage. And the Pharisees are like that. They are so enraged with jealousy over Jesus, they will just about burn their own house down to take him out. As an aside, listen to me. Don't think that could never happen in the church. It does. Things will happen in the church and someone's doing well and somebody else is a little envious and they wish that was their place or their ministry or their thing and then they hold a little tighter and then some jealousy creeps in and you wake up one day and you can't figure out what this backbiting and bickering and stress is in the church and the answer is somebody didn't get a grip on their envy and their jealousy. They forgot they were on the same team for the same mission. It happens in the church. Human pride is greatly goaded to anger when harm, when envy takes over. Let's look at the story and make some applications. We've got six things we're going to look at. One is an undeniable miracle. It's pretty simple. A demon-possessed man was brought to Jesus. He couldn't speak, and he was blind, and Jesus healed him. Okay, now get this. This is, this is, the, this is the perfect storm. This is the big three. He's demon-possessed. Okay, that's pretty bad. And then he's blind. He can't see a thing. And then he's mute. He can't talk. Can't, can't see, can't talk. Demon-possessed. They bring him to Jesus, and just like always, Jesus heals him, and he's free of the demon, he can see and he can speak and he can walk and fellowship. It's an unrefutable miracle. This guy had been like this for a long time. Remember that miracle where Jesus healed the woman and Jesus goes, man, she's been like this for 18 years. Why are you guys grumpy that I've healed her? People knew about folks like this. This is an irrefutable miracle. This happened, no way to deny it. There's television evangelists, you'll see it in the television screen and bring your people down in front of the TV and they're all gonna be healed. And we see people getting out of wheelchairs. A lot of that, lot of that stuff is made up, folks. This is irrefutable. This was healed. Everybody knew this guy was in trouble and Jesus healed him. It's an undeniable miracle. And then there's obvious jealousy. There's obvious jealousy. Look at that. The crowds were astonished and they said, perhaps this is the son of David. 
Oh, man, the Pharisees heard that, and they're already grumpy, and then the people are astonished, but they're not astonished about the Pharisees. They're astonished about Jesus, and it just drives them to a rage. They just don't know what it is. There's an obvious jealousy in the Pharisees because the people are astonished at what Jesus is doing. And then there's an illogical accusation, an illogical accusation. The Pharisees, they don't really know what else to say, and they're looking for some way to discredit Jesus, as they always are. And they're like, well, he's canceling out demons by the power of Beelzebub. Now, he doesn't say that to Jesus, because later on, the passage says that Jesus knew their thoughts. So he's in the back. The Pharisees are in the back. There's a group of people, and Jesus is up front, and the Pharisees are in the back, and they're going, well, he's, he's, he's doing that by Beelzebub. By Beelzebub. Let me just mention right now in your church, if somebody comes to you to complain or be grumpy about someone else who's not a part of the conversation, you stop that person right in their tracks and you send them over to the person, okay? Those people should have told the Pharisees, you stop right there. You got a problem with Jesus? You go talk to Jesus. He was spreading, He, the Pharisees were spreading rebellion and bitterness and discomfort and doubt in the minds of people to discredit Jesus. If you have a problem with something, you go to that person. If you don't, you might have a problem with envy and jealousy. So Jesus has an irrefutable response. The illogical accusation is he's casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And by the way, Beelzebub in the Greek, if you look up the original language, you know what word it is? Beelzebub, okay? And if you, if you take the same word and you look it up in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, you know, you, you know what it is in the Old Testament? It's Beelzebub. Beelzebub's Beelzebub, and it comes from two words. comes from Baal and uh, Zebub, right? And Baal is the Lord, and Zebub is the fly. This means literally a meaning is the Lord of the flies. But what it really means is to sting. And the Lord of the flies is a fly with a stinger. It's the, it's the Lord of the flies, the Lord of the sting. But the Pharisees used it very derogatory. In the Old Testament, it also was the Lord of dung. Dung's a bad word. And also was the Lord of the house. And so he says you're casting out by the power of Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, the Lord of the house, the master of the house, this dung king, this stinging king. They use that derogatory term, and then Jesus has an irrefutable response. He knows their thoughts because they didn't say it to him. They said it to someone else. And Jesus says, a divided kingdom will not stand. Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. He's saying, if I'm casting demons out... By the power of demons, that really doesn't make any sense because that's destroying the very kingdom that's trying to promote itself. And, and then he says, if Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will the kingdom stand? So Jesus says a divided kingdom won't stand. Infighting destroys entities. Satan loses ground if he casts himself out. And then he says, well, if I'm casting demons out by the demons, who are your sons casting them out by? You realize in the New Testament, there were some of the, some of the apprentices or sons of the Pharisees that were also casting out demons. And Jesus goes, well, what, what? I'm casting demons out by the demons, and your sons are casting demons out by the Spirit of God? It doesn't make any sense. They'll be your judges. He says, those people that are doing that, they'll be the ones who judge you. 
And then we have an impossible neutrality. There's an impossible neutrality. And Jesus says, what does he say? He says, anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. If you're not on my team, if you're not with me, if you're not on the same team, you can't pretend to be neutral. Jesus uses this illustration of taking down the strong man to overpower him. And Jesus goes, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you because no one can go into the strong man and plunder his house unless he ties the strong man up first and he can take his goods. Now, that's just not a random illustration. Do you remember we talked about Beelzebub, the Lord of the house? Now, Jesus, knowing that that's on their mind, knowing they're aware of what that means, knowing this horrible, derogatory, Lord of the dung heap term, master of the house bit, he says, no one's going to go into the strong man's house and take his goods unless he ties them up first. What Jesus is saying is you're accusing me of casting demons out by the power of demons. But what's actually happened is I've come down to the strong man's house, the world. Where did God send Satan when he cast him out of heaven with his billions of evil angels? Where did he send him? To the earth. And they're down here, and they're not happy. They don't like it here, and they hate everything God loves. And their constant mission, 24-7, is to destroy everything that God loved, everything God made. And this is their house. And Jesus said, I came down into the house and I'm tying up the strong man and I'm going to tie up the strong man and I'm going to take his goods back. And that guy I healed that was demon possessed and couldn't talk and was blind. Satan bound that guy up and Jesus healed him. And you're like, so now wait, no, wait a second. You're, you're not saying that blindness and muteness is Satan binding the guy up. No, I'm not. The Bible says that because remember that woman with the issue of blood and Jesus healed her. And they condemned him because it was on Sunday. And they said, how can you heal on the Sabbath like that? Remember what Jesus said? He said, this woman has been bound by Satan for 18 years. Why should she not be healed even on the Sabbath? Jesus was acknowledging that her physical infirmity was a part of the fact that they're living in a place filled with demons that Satan hates everything he sees. And he is filled with animosity and destruction and disease and hardship and pain for every one of God's children, and he will never relent. And God says, I've come down. I'm going to bind the strong man. I'm taking my possessions back. It's an irrefutable response to what the Pharisees said. There's an impossible neutrality. And Jesus says, if you're not on the team to take Satan down with me, you're not neutral. You're against me. Some here this morning might not be following hard after God. You might not be on the same mission that God is on. Maybe you're not really making an effort in your faith. Listen, you might hear the condemnation of the Pharisees. and You might hear Jesus pummeling these guys, tell them how bad they are, that their sin's unforgivable. And maybe you might hear that and you might sort of be comforted in your own mind and go, well, I'm not like those horrible Pharisees. And Jesus says, yeah, you might not be like the horrible Pharisees, but if you're not gathering with me in the kingdom of God, you are scattering. There's no room for neutrality. It's all in or it's all nothing. Listen, if you're not here today, if you're not off the bench, if you're not on the field, 
If you're not swinging for goals for Jesus, you're against him. Do you get that? Now we're going to look at the unforgivable blasphemy. Verses 31 and 32. The passage culminates in these very harsh words against the religious leaders. And the religious leaders have heard everything Jesus says. And Jesus says to them, can you guys hear me? What's this sin? What is this sin of blasphemy against the Spirit? Well, consider what Jesus just said. He said, if I'm casting demons out by the power of demons, it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of silly. That doesn't work. And he says, but if I'm casting demons out by the power of the Holy Spirit, then the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has come to us right now. The kingdom of God is here if what I'm doing is by the Spirit. And then he says, there's no option for neutrality. You're with me or you're against me. And then he says, because of this, everything he just said, because of this, I tell you, People will be forgiven every sin and every blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Grudem says the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a clear knowledge of who Christ is. A willful rejection of the facts concerning Him and slanderously attributing the works of God to a devil. Listen carefully. The sin is unpardonable. The sin is unpardonable because this kind of willful refusal to acknowledge Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit's confirmation of who he is demands such a hardness of heart and such a blindness of mind and such a rejection of God that this repeated denial of Christ has become so ingrained in a person's life, it is ultimately irreversible. And that's where the Pharisees are at. They have, they have envied and been jealous and become bitter and got so much hatred toward Jesus. He could, And then they come to him and say, hey, Jesus, you know, give us a sign. He's like, yeah, right. What else do you want to see? They've seen it. They've had every opportunity to acknowledge him as who he is. And let me just tell you, if you're the least bit concerned that you've committed this sin, the Holy Spirit's still reaching out to you, and you most certainly should repent if you can. Psalms 95, preached on this last week at Church of the Savior in town, Psalms 95 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you still hear the voice of God, if the Holy Spirit still pricks your heart, if the Holy Spirit still calling out to you, you can repent. So why does Matthew give us this story, this repeated story all through the book of Matthew, this scenario of healings and animosity? Matthew tells the same scenario over and over again to teach us and to protect us. He shows us what Jesus is like. He shows us what unbelief looks like. And then he calls the reader. He calls you and me to trust God. In conclusion, listen. Do not reject God because he's not the God you want. 
Do not reject God because he's not the God you want. You know what the Pharisees wanted? They wanted a God to come down from heaven, find them wherever they were, and pat them on the back and say, oh, you guys are so righteous. This is just awesome. I'm so glad to finally get to meet you. That's what they wanted. It wasn't going to happen because they were so tied up in their self-righteous pharisaicalism, they wouldn't see Jesus if he came right to them. Do not reject God because he's not the God you want because he is the God you need. Number two, do not allow jealousy or envy to creep into your life and block your view of what God is doing in your life in this church, in our community. Number three, do not elevate, you ready? Do not elevate your religious preferences and practice. Do not elevate your religious practices and preferences so high that it blinds you to what freedom in Christ looks like because that's what the Pharisees did. And lastly, do not ever Say no to God and wake up one day and discover that you no longer can hear his voice. Beloved, respond to God when he calls. Beloved, the time to say yes to God is when he calls. It will be easier to say yes to God today than it will be tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful words from the book of Matthew. And Father, I pray today the Holy Spirit is creeping into the hearts and minds of believers and convicting us to be following hard after God. And Father, if there's someone here who's on the verge of saying no to you so many times that they may not hear your voice anymore, convict them now and soften their hearts and have them give a resounding yes, I want to follow God in Jesus' name. Amen.